0: So, welcome to this month's edition of Not TV Book Club Podcast. I'm here with Jaden Morton. Hello. Hello. And, uh, hello, I can see you. (laughs) And Kai, who's producing. Hello, Kai Northcott. Hello. And um, so to start with, this is what's going to be happening. We're going to, Jaden and I are going to have a chat about what we're reading at the moment. And then we're going to talk about this month's Book Club book, Sophia Khan is not obliged by Ayesha Malik and we will be joined as a very special guest by Ramesha Ravik um, and I'll tell you more about her later on and then there will be some creative joy at the end. How does that sound? I like it. Good. Okay, so, Jaden, mm-hmm. who are you and what are you reading?
1: <laughs> I'm Jaden, I'm just a guy.
0: looking for a book
1: just a guy with a book in my tote bag a tote bag full of books all the time (laughs) Um, I am reading this week An Apartment on Uranus by Paul B. Preciado Mm. Um, it's an essay collection around queer theory and um, his experience as a trans man throughout the essays he imagines another city or town on Uranus um, with an apartment in it and uses this apartment on Uranus to create a lens to explore his um, trans identity. And it's so interesting, and I've never heard anyone talk about trans identities in this way before. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure lots of people have, but this is the first time I've encountered this, and it's just a gorgeous um, Fitzcarraldo non-fiction movie.
0: I was looking at it with that kind of envy. So so <laughs> Fitzcarraldo editions have oh. always got a plain cover, mm-hmm. haven't they? And then a font, hmm. which is always in capitals in a contrasting colour.
1: Absolutely. Um, nonfiction is always white with blue text. Oh, I did that. Blue with white text. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, mine's absolutely butchered. It's covered in croissant and post it notes.
0: That's very post modern. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> very very post modern and European. i a
1: stereotype of myself. <laughs> well.
0: But it makes me think about the idea of rooms and territories and safety mm-hmm. yeah. in in a sense yeah is well, that the kind of thing that they're talking about
1: yeah one of the most interesting things that and i hope i don't butcher this um reading of it in the first essay he talks about um tra- like transition as in like medical transition and social transition as crossing a border and a boundary mm-hmm. that aligns that with um like immigration and the The stigma against immigrants and trans people being completely different yet both um, a crossing and and the way Mm. we think about crossings and borders Mm. um, is fascinating, and it's like it's one of those things where I can feel my brain. Yeah, engaging with it in lots
0: of different ways.
1: No one can see what I'm doing, but my hands are like expressing bigness.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can see (laughs) it. Yeah, (laughs) that's it's quite an astonishing idea because you normally associate. Rooms. I suppose the fact that it's a room on a planet is has got a sense of expansiveness to mm. it because you normally you normally um, associate rooms with containedness.
1: Yeah, um, and I think transness is expected to be behind closed doors.
0: Mm. So.
1: Um, I've, well, I've not got through the rest of the book, but it will be interesting to see what he says about, like, inside-outside private public.
0: Okay, interesting. so there's binaries that he's exploring in every chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and the crossing of them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, he's, yeah in effect, he's querying the boundaries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if I've got a quote here that I've, like, gone through in my, like, highlighter.
0: I think I might have to steal this book from him. That's really interesting.
1: No, I won't give you a quote. They're all too long. I've highlighted too much.
0: You can give a quote. Um, You love a passage of prose on the Nos TV Book Club podcast. It's a tradition. uh,
1: Okay, let's go, Greg. Spaces are segmented in terms of masculinity or femininity heterosexuality or homosexuality, implies crossing a border that may be, along with that of race, the most violent of political borders invented by humanity. Yeah. that's
0: like That's so Mm. good.
1: And like every paragraph has lines like that that just hit so hard. I'm like not even halfway through and I've used up my highlighter.
0: Yeah. So, oh, there's so much to say about that quotation. And it kind of links in a very nice way, to what I am reading as well.
1: Really?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? So yeah. we have, actually, we haven't prepared, I'm making it sound like we've prepared <laughs> this, but we, we don't know what each other is I reading. No. Only, how strange that we're both reading essays. Mm-hmm. Love an essay. So, the, re- the book that I've been reading is called In Defence of Witches, Why Women Are Still on Trial, mm-hmm. by Mona Cholet, and it's 2022 book it's it's by a french feminist scholar so there's loads and loads of feminist theory in it however it's oh, i don't know why i'm saying it like that but it's also really readable mm. so it's got lots of examples it's got examples from literature it's got examples from sociology it's got ruminations about personal experience and so it looks at this idea of the, the idea of the witch from the Middle Ages, so it, and then it dissects and plays with the idea. So the idea that the witch is either single or childless mm-hmm. or aging or grey-haired in particular, I find very interesting at the moment, um, and looks at how those stereotypes have persisted into structures that are still being used today. I what was really interesting was there's a section on medical science and uh, ecology and how um, medical science used to be something which was uh, in rhythm with nature and was uh, something that women were involved in doing, but then the, syst- the systematically that was eroded by people, well, I say people, but I mean men, <laughs> or doctors, who came along and science took that kind of, those um, expertise, and, and I think there's something about the way they're presented in history as kind of women being in rhythm with nature or whatever, it isn't, it isn't necessarily that, it's knowing what works in a, in a domestic setting, using what's around you, you know, in your immediate environment. So, so they got rid. So of course they took that all out. And then there's, there's this whole thing about how medicine and science becomes intrusive, and um, apparently uh, parts of the female anatomy ha- are named by uh, after after male scientists, which is really weird. So the G spot. Yeah. <laughs> is named after a German scientist who proposed that it existed. I mean, the idea is just absolutely ridiculous that that most intimate part of the female anatomy has been named mm. and therefore, I don't know, kind of conquered yeah. or labelled.
1: It's just like
0: putting a map in your uterus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and I'm fighting I should to ask you if you can think of a better name for the G-spot.
0: Well, yeah, I can think of lots of better names, yeah. but it, they might require a glass of wine.
1: <laughs> but That's a different podcast.
0: Yeah, that's a different podcast. But it's that kind of knowledge, I suppose, that reading these essay collections, mm. like you think you know everything there is to know about the cook. Witches only, I mean, they're so cozy, cozy now, aren't they? It's like Hermione Granger's got all witches are lovely, yeah, and, and pretty and flouncy and mm-hmm. everything. But actually, there's yeah. something about the way that the witch is an embodiment of female mm-hmm. self regulation, yeah, you know,
1: yeah. And what, um, to what point does the book challenge or like express witchcraft as? A deviance from norms rather than like magic or is or is magic sort of part of that as well
0: I think it celebrates the deviant mm. nature of it yeah so in a bit like the way that you've got binaries in mm. your essay collection it's yeah. saying actually the the problem with this is that women these women refuse to be heteronormative uh submissive they they refuse to be feminine in that dimension of masculine and feminine mm. so they were they were trouble yeah. <laughs> basically and they, but they did think like if they if the mother and the daughter in the family had been executed for being a witch because they thought it was hereditary they just got rid of the aunt and the grandmother as well One billion. <laughs> it's unbelievable it's absolutely unbelievable that like also, the way that the language translates into the current day, and we talk about witch hunts and everything, mm. we have got no idea it was brutal. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, I find witch trials fascinating. Where I grew up in Kings Lynn, there's like, mm. a, like we have the big square, the big like town centre, and there's like um, a statue to like commemorate the witch trials because there used to be like loads of witch trials in Norfolk. Yeah. Crazy. Do you think if you were alive, gender you'd have been? Tried? I think I'm still a witch. Yeah.
0: You know, I think you know, I'm not. I'm not compliant. Hmm. Got opinions.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and my hair is greying. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm older. You know, there's something about an old, the older woman. Yeah. Which is really interesting, but that's maybe a different.
1: Yeah, there's a whole second podcast. A
0: different part of podcast.
1: podcast,
0: yeah. maybe. <laughs> that was a very interesting conversation. we mm-hmm. are so learned. I know, <laughs> yeah. You're so learned. Thank you, Professor Morton, right. for that okay. part of the podcast. That was marvellous. We're going to go back now, go back in time to this morning, in fact, where we're recording this month's edition of The Notts TV Book Club. And uh, we were looking at this book, Sophia Khan is not obliged by Ayesha Malik. And um, joining us in the studio, Jaden, I believe you were there. I was there. And uh, Ramesha Rafiq, I believe you were there. I was there. So, Ramesha, where do you... <laughs> I <laughs> look like the Black. Number one, what's yes. your name? Or where do you come from? <laughs> Who are you?
2: I am... Um... Who am I? It's <the first> a <laughs> question I've been <laughs> who for a Even are you? <laughs> who even are I? Um, I'm a PhD researcher at Nottingham Trent University. Mm-hmm. Um, my PhD is on the ontology of the post colonial planners and I look at decolonisation. What is ontology? Oh, here we go, Bible But what, what does it actually mean? <laughs> like, can you can you sum it up
0: in words that I might understand at this point in the day?
2: I'm looking at the creation of and all of the different factors that contribute to the existence of the post-colonial Flaners. So I'm looking at and I'm looking at the flaneur figure from a post-colonial context. So I use ontology in the same way that Edward Said uses it in his study of Orientalism. Um, I love him, I think it was his birthday yesterday. I'm it was yeah, his birthday. Thinking of him. Yeah. And so yeah, and I look at kind of decolonisation in British Muslim women's literature. So text like Sophia Khan is not obliged by Aisha Malik. And I kind of try to find this post-colonial flaneurs in the work of British Muslim women. So a flaneur
0: is a, like, a, traditionally it's been a male term, and it's a, a, a man who wafts about different cities. Just experiencing what's around them. I'm saying what because I'm being slightly <laughs> snooty, but it's not. It's like it would be a some a man with a white man with money mm. strolling around these different cities, uh, and typically European cities. I would say just experiencing what there is to experience. Yeah. No pressure. No ties. Nothing to keep them. Doing anything else, just experiencing the travel of life. Yeah, yeah. Traditionally. So, so that's really interesting that your work is moving in, uh, stepping
2: into that territory. It is, but I mean, people before me, such as Lauren Elkin, have and Virginia Woolf, and so on. And you know, if we really want to go back, you know, George Sands have stepped into the female flaneur, where is where flaneurs comes from, but. Where I'm disturbing it is I'm kind of looking, not kind of, I am very much looking at how (laughs) this figure is accessible to women of the working class, to women from marginalised backgrounds, women who may otherwise not have had the opportunity and still are very much marginalised and restricted in the public sphere. Mm. And what I intend to do is give them a voice and to kind of, I mean, they have a voice, I'm not giving them a voice, but what I'm doing is Allowing them to speak for themselves as opposed to being constantly spoken for, and an opportunity to shed light on their actual experiences using and integrating within Western cities and public transport and all the different things that have evolved with this figure of the Flemere and the Flemish. That's really fascinating,
0: isn't it? It's another podcast. Yeah, (laughs) it is. (laughs) That's the catchphrase (laughs) from today. It's It's another another podcast. podcast. So, so um, one of the questions that I didn't ask you this morning, which mm-hmm. I thought was an error on my part, so I do <laughs> apologise, was why, oh why, did you choose this book for us to read as part of NOTS TV book club?
2: Well, for many reasons. I mean, it ties in well with Islamophobia Awareness Month, which I mentioned during the book club. But I felt like Aisha Malik, has a really soft and funny way of going around serious topics, which is something I said in book club too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she confronts Islamophobia in this text through Sophia's experiences in London without being so serious and so political about Islamophobia. So we have this visibly Muslim woman who experiences Islamophobia in different parts of the city. She experiences Islamophobia in the workplace. She experiences it on the tube she experiences it even within to some extent her own private sphere Mm. but Aisha Malik has a really good way of engaging those themes and still making a really heartwarming and light book for you to read and enjoy and it I don't know what you guys thought but I did think it was a very easy read and I think that was one of the good things about this book that you can read it and you can enjoy it but you're also engaging with some serious topics when you're reading it such as Islamophobia and Muslim women's identity.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Um I don't want to go back to <laughs> I don't want to go back to my my book club role what do you think? What do you think? Why didn't that over to you, Jaden?
1: Yeah, I I just I think I described it on the show as digestible, which is like a disservice to how good it is. Um there is something about it that even though things that happen in the book are like hard like she experiences racism and I think the breakups especially like Mm -hmm. that happen are are really painful and like but they're also just so um yeah just so like wonderful to absorb someone just like going through the ups and downs and she just does character so well I think which is what is lovely about it.
0: So at the beginning so right at the beginning she's going to her fiance Imran is that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, he's the guy that wants to make a hole in the wall. Yeah, there <laughs> is a there is a hole in the wall. <laughs> I love that. Which is so funny. So that's the yeah. and the way she describes it, So that's so she can go in between her in-laws' house and her own house.
2: No, it was a way of it was a way of controlling her want for living separate from her in-laws. By giving a house that was still connected to her indoors and having a hole in the wall, so it was still one house. Yeah. So he would please his family, but at yeah. the same time, he was pleasing her by arguing it's a separate house.
0: So they could, so they could go through from one side to the other. yes. Yeah. But what really made me, glad, so that's funny to start with. I mean, not fun. Like the idea of calling it the hole in the wall, which is where you get cash in my mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that we all say? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But also at one point. Uh, she says, she describes it as a conjoined house, like (laughs) conjoined twins, which is a really interesting image, like there's two kinds of levels of people being dependent on each other going on, and also it's a really clinical term, like she's, so it's like she's really, perhaps I'm doing this to you, you, but it's like she's really analysed the situation and yeah. sees it as something which is clinically not going to be okay. successful. I, yeah, sorry,
1: sorry, there you go. There no, you, you go. you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm. Do keep in mind because I'm like going to detour slightly because I. I didn't struggle with the hole in the wall thing. It sounds objectively bad, but I did. I did find the way that she so she describes the hole in the wall as weird at some points, and she sort of describes the hole in the wall as. though it's something that she'd never encountered before and I think that like my understanding of like her as like a Muslim woman in her 30s is that she probably would have encountered this and like it I don't I don't know if she would have like I kind of wanted her to be like I understand why he's doing this but it's just not for me but instead it was presented as something that was like completely out of the norm and I think she Mm -hmm. she lives with her parents already and I think she has a notion of multi-generational living. It is quite common in like Muslim families. And, and, not, like, and not completely disastrous. I think a lot of people like warmed to the idea of multi-generational families. And I think the fact that her character didn't or didn't at least understand why he would want that was a little bit like, it kind of took me out of the story a little bit because I think it was like, it was used to One of the, like, loveliest things about Sophia is that she's, like, she's very faithful, Mm. but also, like, challenges other norms as well, and she kind of holds duality. But I think the the hole-in-the-wall thing, the fact that she wasn't able to kind of see the duality of that, kind of, it felt like it was pushing her into, like, I'm not like other girls in ways that the rest of the book, um, the rest of the book, she's kind of completely unique like it was the one one of the places where it lost me slightly
2: yeah no yeah. I, I agree that she I agree that there's something to an extent with her not being like the rest of the girls but I think that within her how she explains her relationship with everyone she's mm. already getting the ick so she's already done with this yeah, relationship yeah. so she is just finding everything about him irritating at yeah. this point and I think for her it's kind of maybe from a cultural perspective and again everybody's cultural experiences is very individual and very different. Yeah. But how I interpreted it was, I'm not going to have my own space. He's mm-hmm. clearly a mummy's boy. Mm-hmm. His mum is going to intervene in, t- in our marriage constantly. And I don't want to live with my in laws It's suffocating. I've been living with my family. I'm in my 30s. Mm-hmm. I want my own place. So I think that's what I got from it. Yeah. So I think there's always a understanding of that intergenerational living arrangement. And in book two and three we see more of that Nice, but I think for her it was literally just getting the ick from (laughs) him and being done with it and this was another reason why she didn't want to be with him Mm. and then she kind of clung to that as a reason to yeah just not want to marry him even more so you're right aren't you you're right to pick that up something which doesn't completely ring true
0: it only really starts to ring true when you see later on how irritating his parents actually are. Yeah. Because they turn up with a lilac wedding dress, don't they? I mean, it's not... I mean, who is going to wear lilac?
1: I think lilac's a beautiful colour.
0: It is a beautiful colour, but not on your wedding day. Yeah. You want something which is striking,
2: and I don't know what the... But so you'd wanna you'd wanna pick your own wedding dress. You would have gone to pick your wedding dress and then tell you that you
0: the So tell me yeah. about the choker because is something was there something symbolic about the choker as well? There's nothing symbolic about choker it. because like, she because she says at one point she didn't want to see it. It's not a noose. It's not a. It's not a something yeah. to constrain me.
2: So I think the I think with South Asian wedding jewellery usually it's very layered. So you'll have the choker and you have the longer necklace and sometimes the longer necklace and I think it was just an interesting metaphor for mm. her being controlled by a man and his family mm. and kind of marrying from one family to another family rather than marrying a man mm. she was marrying the family mm. and mm. it was all they were already controlling her by mm. controlling her wedding and what she'd wear and where she'd live Mm. And we you know Sophia from reading this; she was not having that. So yeah. that's what I think that metaphor was created for. Mm.
1: I think that's kind of why I was expecting—I was expecting to finish the book and have to end up so like single and like yeah. maybe move, maybe moving out, like, and
0: yeah. triumphant. Yeah,
1: and I was like, I was really happy that we got this kind of like, like it kind of like don't know what the word is, but like,
0: Irish tattooed beefcake. Yeah, that's the word you're looking yeah.
1: for. Um, <laughs> I've lost the word for it, but, like, not out, not out of the blue, but, like, this kind of unexpected happy ending. Um, yeah. I really loved it. I think it was, like, the perfect ending, but, um, yeah, I would spend the whole time kind of rooting for her to be on her own. Um,
2: Me too. Did you? I wanted it to kind of be, like, Sophia the just goes away and travels and yeah, just... becomes a flaneur. becomes a flaneur. Yeah. I already thought she was a flaneur. I thought she was a post-colonial flaneur. Mm. But... Yeah.
1: So do you think that she's not?
2: No, no, I do think she's a favourite, sorry, but when she met, when Connell went Mm -hmm. away with her and he, like, converts for her and there's this romantic ending, I loved it. I literally remember (gasps) when I read it, but I think I was rooting for her to go and travel alone. Mm. What
0: about, um, so I was was thinking about the humour again. I'm sorry to take it back, but I can't get it out of my head. So, um... I was thinking about this book and what Billy was saying about there is a a really brilliant writer here and they're perhaps underselling themselves. And mm. um, I don't know how far people agreed with that. I mean, I think some of the writing is brilliant. Like mm. even there are some brilliant throwaway lines. Like there's a bit where. Um, the uncle comes to stay and he comes from the airport and he's got so much luggage and she's saying something like um, she's really surprised he didn't get stopped at customs and then her dad said, oh no, the flight from Jamaica just got in. (laughs) And you think, and you think, oh my God, that's a whole world Mm. of stratas of racism Mm. just in that small anecdote. She is, like to be able to do that, it's, so skillful um anyway so i was thinking about um women and humor in writing and whether there's something about the way that humor is a kind of mode of apology almost so like i was because i was thinking about you know the stuff about the covid um bear with (laughs) i'll get there in the end so the, the stuff so about the COVID inquiry this mm. week, there's been a lot of attention to how the female civil servant mm-hmm. wrote her email. So she wrote it with really kind of placatory language. And there was an emoji at the end that like, ha, 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 we've got to do this, da, 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 da. So, and, and lots of people have said the way she's writing is really apologetic. And that's the way that women mm. like, are used to writing. Yeah and i just wondered whether because i think this this is a this is a funny book but it's also incredibly angry you know i think she, she there's a real like, a lot of her not to not to classify her as a an angry brown person, brown woman you know but i just wonder whether the humor is there as a way of kind of commodifying how she feels and making it
2: acceptable
0: to people.
2: I think she takes uh, ridiculous concepts and laughs at them. And I think that's why she's good at writing about these serious topics in a light way. Because by making a joke out of them, she's highlighting how ridiculous the stereotypes and reductive approaches to Muslims' identity, how ridiculous they are. Like like the incident on the tube that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, And her punching him in the face. And, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, and my comment on her, how I feel like Aisha Malik might have been making some suggestions about the real experiences of Muslim women that work in publishing. But she goes about it in a funny, shoes of humour because I think that's her way of mocking these ridiculous ideas and structures that reduce Muslim women's identity to these silly stereotypes that actually don't define them or, mm. you know, reflect their life experiences at all. Mm. And, and to some extent, you can even question whether Saphir's experiences can reflect everyday experiences of a Muslim woman. Well, they can't, because that's one characteristic experience. Whereas Muslim women are so individually, have such different experiences. Yeah. They can't be characterised into one, one thing, which is, I think, what happens a lot of the time. There's one voice, and then that's the box yes. that they get put into. But humour finds a way around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mocks it. Yeah. I
1: think. What do you think? Oh, well, I wanted to um, ask you about, like, narrative and, and challenging narratives, because mm. there's obviously particular narratives that come from, um, like, the media or, like, outside of Muslim women's own voices, that when your authors are creating their, their characters, do you think that they are also fighting against, fight, creating characters that have to fight against narratives
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and expectations? And if that like affects how these characters kind of are built?
2: Well, as in how the authors construct the characters, yeah. the type of stereotype. Yeah. So like the, so like, uh, the mum, mm-hmm. for example,
0: I can't remember her name, but she's the men. Let's call her auntie. Um, <laughs> auntie in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie G. Yeah. <laughs> um so she starts off and there's loads of stuff in there that she's got some quite traditional views, but by the end she's saying times have changed, things mm. have changed, Sophia is her own person. So that's is that the kind of thing you mean, like the way the characters are countering those stereotypes themselves?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess I was just thinking about the like extra challenges. Um, or if, if those challenges are taken into account, like do you do you take those challenges of like, challenging racist tropes into your writing? Or where are some of the, I don't know her name, but the lady that wrote Bridget Jones, or like the original writers of like the male female characters wouldn't have to do that. And do you sort of like dive head first into into the writing and kind of leave that at the door.
2: I would hate to speak for the British Muslim women that write yeah. these books because mm. that's just countering everything that I've said about them using yeah. their voice and having a platform mm. to voice their own views. Yeah. However, I do think that there's some people who feel a burden to have to challenge these stereotypes Mm. and write back to these stereotypes. Mm. And then there's some writers who really struggle with what representation means in these narratives Mm. and whether they, by speaking to these representations, they are constantly putting themselves back into the boxes that they're trying to climb out of Mm. and whether that's counterproductive to them actually sharing these different um, experiences and individual identity characteristics Mm. that Muslim women being a Muslim woman can't encompass. Yeah. Like, when I want. well, you recommended a really good book at the end of Book Club, and I was going to recommend Fatima Dartha's The Last One, because that story followed the experience of a Parisian, Algerian, um, LGBTQ mm. female Muslim who struggles with being lesbian and being Muslim in a French society. Now, how many complex layers are there within that one example? Her experience is so individual yet so complex and diverse Mm. and you can't say that Fatima Das was writing that character under a pseudonym Mm -hmm. to kind of counter a stereotype she was just showing you know the complex layers of being that and being those things in this one character but she never at any point says that this is her counter a general stereotype. Mm-hmm. She thinks this is one yeah. example of being a Muslim woman in Paris. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, there's sometimes when you think of representation writing back to stereotypes and kind of having to fight stereotypes, you can be putting yourself back into the boxes that you're trying to get yeah. out of. So sometimes it's more productive to just write. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you. I've heard some Black writers mm-hmm.
2: say that as well, that
0: they feel this pressure to be representative, but actually what they're trying to do, and, and that is a weight on their shoulders to represent a certain kind of experience of, you know, second generation immigration or what whatever it might be, football refereeing, whatever it is, in a certain kind of way, but actually you've got to tell the story and it's not what I love about this book and about the women in particular actually is that they are so very all the girls
2: yeah. are so very
0: different and they're all faced with different situations. So you cannot, even if you wanted to generalize, you couldn't. So you get the sense that this kind of monolithic idea of a Muslim woman, young mm. woman, is being picked apart.
2: And do you know what and a lot of reading that I've done recently speaks about the choice of being visible and wanting to be invisible and being invisible in the gaze that makes you visible in the first place. I know that sounds quite mm. complex the way I'm saying it, but you're kind of validating that gaze and working to the expectations mm. of that gaze. And as a Muslim woman, you even when you're choosing to be not visible, you're still visible. Like you're inherently forced to justify that to this, Islamophobic or this white or this Eurocentric gaze and there is that 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 pressure of why should I have to constantly be visible in this gaze and even when I'm not choosing to be visible my existence is being made politically visible or visible in another way so there's there's that writing back to that in a sense that no I'm not going to constantly validate myself to this gaze that I'm countering it's time to flip that gaze and show you why my gaze or how my gaze is seeing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a powerful tool that many British Muslim writers and non-British Muslim writers are now using to write about mm-hmm. the um, the experience of Muslim yeah. women in secular society.
1: Mm. Thank you. That is such a perfect answer to such what was such answer. a horrendously worded question from
0: me as well. No, so it was a, it was <laughs> a good, question, very good question. So I think... Mm we've managed to talk about one of the the funniest books we've ever experienced (laughs) on book club in one of the most serious ways. So that's an achievement. (laughs) Congratulations, everybody. (laughs) And um, I'd like to thank everybody for being here and taking a a part in what we've been talking about. So to finish this second edition of our podcast in fantastic style with a touch of class, I'm very pleased that part of Ramesha's PhD work is the creation of a collection of poetry, mm-hmm. and she has very kindly agreed to share as a preview of her <laughs> brilliance a poem called Postcolonial Flanners.
2: Thank you very much, Becky. So yes, this poem is titled Postcolonial Flanners. <clears throat> no two gazes are the same, My presence, visible, noticeable, judged and assumed. I am another version of George Sand, hidden behind a camouflage of identity politics and pronoun wars. Invisibility in crowds of pedestrians, streets, bus stops and coffee shop queues, pavement tables and library rooms. Is there a lack of me in the spaces I inhabit? Your socially aesthetic, Instagram grids, whatever fit, it follows the rage. Instagram influencers do a terrible job of influencing. 2023, neutral positions clash with colourful scarves and turbans and veils and bands and bracelets. You can't tell them what not to wear here. Give space, deep breaths, sighs, long strides, fingers fiddling in laps, chins resting in hands. Is it my faith that is silencing me or your gaze? Alhamdulillah. I can walk where I like. Is there a lack of me in the spaces I inhabit? Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, and No, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about this book with you two. I've literally, in, I've loved, I love the book club and I love being here and you guys are great. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll take that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we hope that you're enjoying our podcast and finding out a bit more and, and listening to a bit more of a discussion about the books of the month, because, frankly, 22 minutes goes really, really quickly. Um, I can tell you that next month's book, um, you hear it here first, is The Private Joys of Nena Maloney, and that is by Oka Chukwu and Zelu. It's his first novel before the um, fantastic Here Again Now, which you might have heard of, and it was shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize, which is fantastic, and it's very lively. Um, so lots of people will have read this already because it came out in 2020. So if you've got things that you think we should be discussing, or points that you want to make about the book, or you just want to say hello, then get in touch with us via our socials, com on Instagram, or on Twitter. Have I covered everything, do you think? Yes, I've got the thumbs up from Kai. I've got smiles from elsewhere. People are already looking up on their phones the titles of the next book they're going to read. Mm. So thank you again to Jaden and to Anisha and goodwill, good, goodwill. <laughs> Farewell, fare thee well from me.